Uh, I have some trigger warnings before we get started. First of all, you're going to hear Dan use words like prescience and maybe have to look them up because I sure did. But in seriousness, Clay's Ark by Octavia Butler does contain several elements that may be distressing or triggering for some readers. These include graphic violence, sexual assault, incest, and potentially distressing themes related to survival, ethical dilemmas, and the human condition under extreme circumstances. I know that if you're a zombie genre fan, a lot of these things may be familiar for you, but um, particularly the sexual assault uh, and the incest is, it's a lot. There's a lot. I wish uh, somebody warned me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dan came home one day from work and his eyes were like wide and he was like, Leah, how far have you gotten in the book yet? And I was like, not as far as you, clearly. So um, if those themes can be difficult for you, it's totally okay to skip this one. Octavia Butler's Clay's Ark is a novel where humanity's grip on normalcy is as tenuous as a thread in the cosmic tapestry. Set in a world teetering on the break, the return of a single spaceship, the Clay's Ark. That's the name of it. It's the ship. Unleashes an alien microorganism with the power to rewrite not just the human body, but the very fabric of human existence. Butler doesn't just tell a story. She thrusts us into a visceral narrative where the lines between human and alien blur, where survival clashes with morality, and where the concept of us versus them it's an extraterrestrial makeover. Extreme home makeover. <laughs> that's, that's not what it says. <laughs> that's what we think of. This isn't just science fiction. It's a mirror held up to our own faces, reflecting our fears of the unknown, of diseases, of people different from ourselves. In a literary landscape starved of diverse voices, Clay's arc erupted like a supernova, challenging conventions and expectations. Butler, a visionary and predominantly white male-dominated field, science fiction, brought not only her African-American heritage into her narrative, but also infused it with her acute awareness of the human condition. Known as the mother of Afrofuturism, Butler has inspired a new generation of writers and artists with her unique blend of science fiction and African-American cultural themes. Her stories are a testament to the resilience and adaptability of life, uh, but also a stark reminder of its fragility in a time where our own world grapples with pandemics and societal divides. Clay's arc resonates with eerie prescience, echoing our struggles, fears, and the unyielding human spirit. The reception of Clay's arc was as complex as its narrative. Critics and readers alike were polarized. Some applauded Butler's unflinching exploration of difficult themes, while others recoiled from its raw, unvarnished depiction of humanity under siege. Its legacy, however, is undeniable. Clay's Ark stands as a monument to speculative fiction's power to confront the uncomfortable, to question the status quo, and to challenge us to look beyond our immediate selves. It's a journey that's unsettling, provocative, and utterly human. Octavia Butler didn't just write a book. She crafted a lens through which we view the world and ourselves forever altered. Just like Clay's Ark. That's what the book's about. (laughs) Welcome to the Zombie Book Club, the only book club where the book was written in 1984, set in 2021, and the outlook for humanity is that we all became alien hybrid cat creature zombies. 
Hi, I'm Dan and I'm a writer. And when I'm not cooking my world famous chili, which I took from a man named Nate after a pistol duel, oh. I'm writing a book about a single mom who runs out of gas during a zombie outbreak and has no choice but to accept help from a truck driver. Hopefully a nice one. Yeah, that could be the beginning of cross a horror your story. Fingers. <laughs> and I'm Leah. Over the years, I've often said that this world of humanity is such a trash fire that I'd be okay with being abducted by aliens. I actually think it could be fun. Uh, but I never considered that the aliens could be an insentient, meaning they are not, I don't think they're smart, I guess we'll find out, extraterrestrial virus from Proxima Centauri that would turn humans into lust-driven zombies. Very, very lusty. Oh, yeah. Today, we're talking about Octavia Butler's Afrofuturist zombie novel, Clay's Ark. Uh, we release episodes every two weeks on Sunday. Join the club and uh, subscribe. Hit that sub button. Hit it. <laughs> or follow or join whatever the button says. If there's a button, press it. Unless it says unsubscribe, don't hit that one. That will do something bad, probably. Yeah. And if there's five stars somewhere, you could hit those, too. Yeah. Uh, no, nothing less than five, though. So if you if you see less than five stars, don't hit it. Uh, personal life update, Dan. <laughs> personal life update, Leah. Oh, I feel like a split personality where half of me is um, observing a genocide in Palestine and the Congo and Sudan because I, for better, I think for better of the world, ultimately, um, we're at a point in humanity where. All eyes are actually uh, westernized. Folks who typically don't have to see or experience these things are witnessing uh, what we are all partially responsible for in the world. Uh, and they are atrocities to humankind way worse than any zombie apocalypse thing I've ever seen. But the other half of me, because I do live in the United States, is uh, laughing at cute puppy videos and watching Bar Rescue with Dan. So that's, <laughs> that's my update. Yeah. And in other like completely... Uh, it feels like split personality, psychopathic news. My art's getting put up in a gallery, so that's nice. I don't know. It's really weird and hard to like have a good time and know that people are, uh, yeah, being brutally murdered on yeah. mass. But I'm trying. Um, in other okay. news, I'm also officially going to quit the book club. Oh, you're quitting? I'm quitting. I I can't do it anymore, Dan. Yeah, you can't. You can't do the book club. I cannot. Uh, but don't worry, it's not this one. It's my real life one because <laughs> I ain't got no time for it. I tried to stay on top of it. And it was like my first foray into making friends in Vermont. And they're nice people. It's fine. But like every time I'm supposed to go, uh, Dan, what do I say to you? I don't want to go. Yeah. So I think it's time to accept that um, my allegiance is to zombie book club and I don't need real life book club friends. Yeah. You know, and, and to, to go back to uh, horrifying atrocities and things like that. Um, this is something that I've struggled with most of my adult life because, uh, you know, I think now we have a lot more visibility about things like this. But yeah. back when I was witnessing atrocities, um, it was only like you could only see it on Fox News. And it was definitely through a through a, a thick lens that they that they gave that they gave everybody, which is like, "Ura uh, America. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's go kill people who are different from us because they're. They, they weren't smart enough to be born American. In Iraq. Yeah. Iraq. That's the name of the place, too. Um, yeah. So, like, when, when I came back from all that, I, I kind of came back to this, like, shocked uh, state of, like, seeing that everybody was just kind of obliviously living their lives mm. with no knowledge that anything could go wrong in their lives. Like, I went around every corner wondering if I was going to explode. And, you know, they would just kind of, like 
bumble their way through life with, you know, thinking that nothing could ever hurt. them. Yeah. Anybody who's like middle class white hasn't had anything traumatizing happening to them, I think is pretty is pretty out of touch with the possibility of death uh, and that we're all not that far away from from real suffering. But I think what's been disturbing is I took international development studies. That was my undergraduate degree. Globalization studies was my master's. So I spent a lot of time looking at and thinking about like what is the role of us in the West with all of the atrocities that happen overseas uh, and here, actually. But it's one thing to like read about it. It's been another thing to like literally be scrolling Instagram and it's like cute puppy, a bunch of dead children. (laughs) It's really it's really interesting. And I just hope that I'm the only thing I can take from this is that I hope that people are waking up here. And that everybody's doing their little bit that they can. And, uh, you know, I think yeah. the majority of people um, disagree with what's going on in, in Palestine. They don't they don't think that the U.S. as a government is handling it very well. No. And that is encouraging. And the whole world is standing up. So that's what gives me hope is like um, people are actually doing something. This stuff's been going on forever and it's not new, but uh, I think people are waking up. And that's, I guess, the beginning of revolution. Yeah. Um, my personal life update, Leah, um, you know, as, as, a, as an adult who's living in the world, uh, I've found that it's really difficult to like make the effort to go find friends. Yeah. You know, I've, I've gone through periods of my life where I've either had a great deal of friends or very few friends. And now I'm just at a place where I'm just like, fuck, I gotta go find friends. If I find a friend, are they going to want to have like hang out with me do i have to make a commitment to them a certain number of days in a week or a month and it's uh <laughs> it's it's kind of it's kind of stressful i don't know if i even want friends but you know what i i've i've been i've been working on it i've been trying but, uh, <laughs> i'll edit that out yeah. <laughs> um you know a lot like your uh you joining your your real life book club where mm-hmm. um you know you want to like go be with people and do things with people and maybe make connections with people and make friends that way and uh you know after a certain amount of time it's just like you don't want to be friends with those people <laughs> yeah they're fine and like maybe yeah. i would but not in the book club setting i i feel the same way it's like if like how much how much effort am i going to put into somebody before i realize i don't like this person Am I just too old? Do you just get too old to make friends? <laughs> I don't think so. But I do think like knowing what you want in a friend is important. Like something I've realized is I like people who are politically active, like zombies. Not yeah. that politi- zombies are politically active. That sounds like I was saying that some of I, them are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe they have like a, a political slogan T-shirt on when they get bit. But anyhow, <laughs> I uh, yeah, I like people who want to make change in the world. I like people who. Uh, like any malaise mm. and i like people who like art and i like people who like psychedelics so that's what i'm looking <laughs> for and like the book club's interesting but it's just not it's not for me yeah um other news uh actually when this comes out we'll probably be at my mom's house that's true i'm uh i'm traveling to go see my family for the holidays you know i don't i don't really visit very often my family and uh a lot like when it comes to making friends I'm kind of okay with not seeing my family very often. Um, but you know what? Every now and then it feels good. Um, and then yeah. as soon as I, as, as long as I, you know, make it short. <laughs> that is really key. <laughs> and 
Oh, also, since last episode uh, about the CDC, we now have six gallons of fresh water stored. Which is three days for you and me, none for the dogs. So we have to, we need to get a little more. (laughs) Well, the dogs always have like at least a gallon. Right now, it looks like a quarter of a gallon, maybe. Yeah, that's true. They typically have some water. But yeah, yeah, we are slightly more prepared. I'd give us a 72. Yeah, we'll survive at least 48 hours. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, you know what? We should... We should jump into this, Leah. Yes, let's do this. I will just say off the bat, I love this book. Dan might have different feelings, but I'm very excited to talk about it. It's been a long time coming. I finished this book like a month ago. And the fact that I still remember what happened and how it ended is very rare for my brain. But Dan's going to do the synopsis. Oh, I am. I'm going to do do it. I'm going to do the plot. You're going to do the plot. Clay's Ark, 1984, is a novel by American science fiction author Octavia E. Butler. What does the E stand for? We don't know. It's impossible to know that. The last published uh, for Patternist series, the novel serves as a prequel to uh, accounts uh, that accounts the arrival of the Clay's Ark disease that leads to the evolution of Clay clay Arcs. which those sound like interesting books. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read them. Uh, the mutants that threaten human survival in the series debut novel, uh, 1976's pattern master and 1978's survivor. Um, not to be confused with survivor by, um, Jeff Probst, Jeff Probst. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not the same thing. Uh, which Butler later dis- disavowed. Oh, now what? I'm curious. That's interesting. Well, also, now I want to let you know it. that that whole first paragraph you wrote read was from Wikipedia. This was As from. We do our research. Wikipedia, even the parts <laughs> that sound like I was ad libbing, though that's in there. Yeah, but I'll, let's uh, let's back and forth a little bit because there's a lot you got to know here to have some context. First of all, if you haven't read it, that's okay. But if you want to read it and you don't want us to spoil it, as usual, you might want to pause this. But it's set in California's Mojave Desert in 2021, so two years ago as of this recording, which is 37 years in the future from the time of publishing. So Octavia is imagining a world 37 years after 1984. Um, it's, a, it's definitely a dystopia. People live in heavily gated communities if they have any kind of wealth. Um, cars are rare. And there are these armed nomads that are called car families that are just like roaming around trying to steal from people to survive, basically. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so main characters, we've got uh, a physician, Blake Maslin, and his twin daughters, Rain and Kira, uh, who live in Southern California. Yeah. Um, and we see them get kidnapped while traveling across the Mojave Desert. I don't remember why they were traveling anymore. Do you? Uh, so is it Kira who has leukemia? Yes. That's a really key point here. They're traveling somewhere to get treatment for Kira's leukemia. In the future, they do have a um, a cure for leukemia, but for some reason it didn't take with hers. It was too far advanced. So I guess maybe because there's a cure for it, there's not a lot of treatment options for people who can't get cured. Yeah. And in terms of age of Kira and Rain, like I think they're like late tweens, teens, early 20s, somewhere yeah. in there. They don't say, but they're youngish adults. That's what I gathered. Teeny adults. Tweens. Tween adults. Yeah, tween adults. Somewhere in there. <laughs> Uh, but they're in their trip across the Mojave Desert. They decide to take a road that is literally says, don't take this road unless you want to get robbed, essentially. And they take it. Yeah, it's not a it's not a good idea. No. And not they get kidnapped. 
Um, our antagonist, uh, first one is Eli Doyle, uh, the sole survivor of the spaceship Clay's Ark, uh, which crashed into the desert after a mission to another planet. Uh, Eli is infected with an alien microorganism or, <laughs> microorganism that enhances physical and sensory abilities, but also controls behavior for its propagation. He's a zombie. He's a zombie. Uh, so Eli's strategy is to, um, to uh, he forms a secluded ranch. Uh, he's a ranch family. He's a family yeah. ranch. Family he, ranch dressing. He comes across this invents, ranch family as he escapes dressing. from the burning. <laughs> as he escapes from the burning yeah. uh, spaceship, he finds this ranch family, and I think at that point he realizes that if he goes any further he's gonna just infect everybody so he decides i'm just gonna infect these people yeah. and make them my family yeah so like basically to um to appease the microorganism side of himself uh he creates this ranch to uh to slowly add members to his to his family um because that's what the microorganism wants him to do and he figures that this is a way that he can control that it's extremely horny microorganism yeah, they want them to bang and touch people all the time. <laughs> they really do. Like, they, they get, like, sexual satisfaction just by, like, me- lightly brushing <laughs> against somebody. It sounds like fun. <laughs> but the um, result is mutant offspring. Yeah, so um, if, uh, if, if infected women uh, give birth, uh, they give birth to a sphinx-like intelligent quadruped. Quadruped. Uh, they they call them they call them clay arcs. I don't know if they say it anywhere in the book, but I've read a lot of things that suggest that it does. I don't remember. Maybe it they the call book. them that in the other books. And maybe maybe um, seeing un they they see uninfected humans as food and uh, potential infection hosts. Yeah, they think that humans look tasty. Yeah. <laughs> so when uh, the this this uh, family Eli's family ranch family uh, are the folks who abduct Blake. Rain and Kira. And of course, they become infected because literally, as Dan said, all you have to do is like lightly brush up against somebody and then you've got it. There's no there, you don't have to bite anything. It's kind of disappointing. Yeah. You know, it should be noted and we didn't have it in our notes here is that like not everybody who gets infected will survive. Mm. Um, so the Ranch family has like done a lot of research on this and like experimented a lot. And they fa- they found out that. Um, multiple inoculations are the way to guarantee a better outcome. So they keep people on the ranch and scratch them. They give them scratches. They just scratch them. <laughs> yeah. They're like, they don't even tell they these come up and they're just like, really good. yeah, they, they, they ejaculate while they scratch somebody they're like, Oh, that felt great. And they're like, meanwhile, the person who got scratched is like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, so, being around a large group of different infected people increases the chances that a single person will survive. Yeah. And they're, the reason why they're abducting people uh, to like grow this ranch family is because one, some of them die and they need people to live to be a part of the community. But the reason they need that is because uh, Eli is trying desperately to cling on to any part of his humanity that's available to Doing him. a great job, too. <laughs> so great. So his solution to the fact that they all want to bang each other all the time, including their people who are siblings or like parent child relationships before they are infected with this extraterrestrial zombie virus or microorganism, whatever, uh, is to kidnap people of the correct gender and then essentially assign them 
a relationship of somebody who does not have someone to bang. Yeah, it's really progressive like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, Blake's family, uh, Rain and Kira, they, uh, they go to this ranch and uh, they feed him a lovely chicken dinner. Um, and that's probably the only part that I really enjoyed was uh, hearing about their food experience. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then there's a lot of it was exposition, a good dinner. as Dan will talk about more later. They're at the ranch for a really long time, but eventually, and the whole time they're trying to escape, um, eventually they do escape. Not before Kira falls in love with Eli and, yeah. and consensually has sex with him. There is consensual sex in this as well. Yeah. Also, Rain kind of falls in love with uh, another dude on the ranch. She thinks he's all right. Yeah. She thinks he's OK. Yeah. They seem more accepting. Blake is like, get the fuck out of We got to get the fuck out of here and uh, go to a hospital save everybody yeah they go into quarantine immediately <laughs> even though they explain to him very clearly that if he goes to a hospital he'll infect everybody in the hospital but i don't know there's there's we'll get into that later yeah uh so uh blake's family decides to escape and they're actually successful despite these people's enhanced abilities one of their enhanced abilities is to be able to like predict things based on their fa on somebody's facial expressions like mm -hmm. they can like they're like truth truth Lie missiles detectors. yeah truth missiles. <laughs> yes <laughs> they follow the truth anyways <laughs> they somehow escape um but then they are captured by a car family you've heard of those yeah they're, everybody knows what a car family is yeah. and this car family is uh angry grumpy people and there's a lot of uh yeah the car family engages in a lot of sexual assault mm. um and also, there's parts where this is where the incest comes in, where like Blake and Kira really, really want to have sex with each other, but they pull them apart. Yeah, it's like a weird. It's a weird little time there at the Car family uh, abduction. But while that's happening, all they can hope for is that um, the people that they were trying to get away from save them. Yeah, um, but that not before uh, Rain, who uh, attempts to escape the Car family. Uh, after a really brutal scene, which I am not going to discuss in detail, um, see trigger yeah. warning. <laughs> yeah, we're not even going to talk about it. You um, that. Yeah, she gets her hands on a gun and she mows down a couple people and then she tries to escape and it doesn't it doesn't go very well. And she ends up getting decapitated um, and uh, Blake does escape. But in escaping, he uh, he runs out in front of a, a 18 wheeler who like swerves off the road to hit him. And then, uh, then the truck driver tries to rob Blake, Blake's body because he, he thought that he was dead. And Blake scratches him instinctively. Can't and, help uh, himself. Truck driver takes off. Infected. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Blake dies. Damn truck drivers. And Kira escapes thanks to um, another character, Jacob, which is one of these Sphinx uh, second generation extraterrestrial zombie things. People. Yeah. Jacob's pets. Yeah. He, he actually finds Kira and like helps her escape. Uh, and ironically, or I don't know, I don't She's cured of leukemia by the clay arc. Yeah, I kind of foresaw that. Like, it, like if if this uh, microorganism kind of like rearranges human DNA to like have all of these extra abilities and, you know, to be stronger and faster and smarter. Like, why wouldn't it also be able to cure leukemia? I don't know, because it kills most people. So it's like yeah. a really strange benefit that they're like, nope. Leukemia, no big deal. Um, but then she returns to the ranch, essentially. She's the last one left of her family, and she's pregnant with Eli's uh, kid, future Clay Ark. Yeah, kid. so happy ending. 
Yeah, that's the beginning of the Patternist series. So we got, definitely <laughs> got to read the rest of them. So um, let's let's get into what is a zombie. What is a zombie? Because when you were first reading this, you obviously started before I did. And you were like, these are not zombies. And, I, and before yeah. I even read it, I was like, yes, they are. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've, I've I had a hard time with this book because it's it doesn't it doesn't follow what our, us zombie fans like expect from a zombie story. Let's talk about the type of zombie, which was hotly debated in this household for quite a while. But I'm going to start with just describing what happens when you are infected with this alien microorganism. So when you are infected with this alien microorganism clay arc, it does not kill if it does not kill you. It will make you be able to smell things at an extremely heightened level, especially the smell of other humans hormones, especially hormones of somebody's horny, um, a.k.a. fertile uh, Dudes, it's very hetero, this world. Dudes cannot help themselves. And women also are like, hello, guy, if I'm not impregnated, all I want to do is have sex with you until I am. Yes, they don't realize that that's what's happening me. until they've already been impregnated. Um, they are also extremely fast and agile. So these are fast zombies. They're kind of like the vampires from Twilight, where they're like, <laughs> you know, when Bella and and um, and what's his face? Uh, uh Robert Patterson, they go yeah. jumping, jumping through the trees of the Pacific Northwest. But they don't glisten in the sun. They, they they, they're really like they are very thin because they have to consume a lot of food. Yeah. Uh, they're hungry all the time because unlike zombies, like eating or infecting other humans doesn't feed them. It's just like the microorganism makes this like unbearable desire that becomes hot, like more and more heightened until you finally infect somebody else. Yeah. It should also be noted that the, the uninfected people, when they look at the infected people, they think that the the infected people look kind of ugly and ill and gross. Yeah, gray. Yeah, gray. The gray is the aliens. Too thin and, you know, scrawny and sickly and but they're still attracted to them. Yeah, there's something about the microorganism that must like yeah. send off a scent or whatever, but they are very hungry and very horny um and extremely fast as I said. And in the early days they're not really able to control themselves both in the holding themselves back from infecting others. Um, that's impossible, but also just fucking. Like I said, Kira uh, basically attacks her dad trying to have sex with him when she's in the early days of yeah. infection. And her dad is so horny that he blacks out and doesn't remember. Yeah. And then her dad ends up having sex with some car family young woman. And he Kira, Kira is desperately jealous that she's <laughs> fucking her dad. So it's it's intense. Yeah. Um, and it's they, a weird Christmas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is not the family Christmas I'm hoping for. <laughs> um, they need mass amounts of food to sustain themselves, like I said, but they particularly like to eat um, raw, live animals. Cooked food is actually kind of gross to them, but Eli insists on holding on to that humanity and tries to make everybody continue to eat cooked food, even though every once in a while they just go out and like grab a chicken from the backyard and yeah. chomp on it. You know, uh, one of the things that I thought was really funny is one of the Carr family members said that he that he saw Eli once. And he knew that Eli had some really good drugs because he saw him chase down a jackrabbit and eat it, eat it alive <laughs> in the desert. <laughs> yeah, they are fast. Um, so, OK, this is we had a, a debate and I know that, Dan, you, your mind has changed, but I want to let the listener kind of come along with us on this journey, because how many of you I'm curious right now are like, that is not a zombie. What oh. you described is not a zombie. Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling a great many of them. <laughs> so here's why I was like adamant that they are zombies, uh, because they have no ability to stop themselves from infecting others. Like, while they may still be sentient uh, and they do some human things like fucking and eating uh, and having families, I guess they what their ultimate drive is, is to spread the 
the microorganism. That's yeah. all they want to do. It gives them orgasm level pleasure to do it. Um, and there is nothing that they care about more. And it's an immense, actually quite impressive that Eli's little family community has not gone and just spread it everywhere. Yeah. And like the virus has, has figured out how to like hijack all of like the reward centers of the human brain to make the human do what that, what the virus wants it to do. Yeah. Um, and Eli even talks about like, it, you know, when he realized what's happening at some point, he thought he wanted to end his own life because he didn't want to like spread the virus, but he found he can't. And that's essentially what happened to Blake, the physician as well as once he was like, I'll just end myself, but he couldn't do it. So there's something about this that uh, is com compels you regardless of your intellect or what you think as a human you might want to do or not do. Yeah. So I was for a very long time, I was of the opinion, this isn't a zombie book. This is more like. Horny vampires. <laughs> and Dan was mad. He'd come home and be like, I'm not a zombie book. I don't get those zombies in there. Um, so my mind was changed when I read a different book. <laughs> the, uh, the book was called Zombified Real Lessons from Fictional Apocalypses by Athena Actipus. They actually, she actually has a, uh, a podcast called Zombified, and I found this audiobook on Audible. For free, it was suggested to me by Audible. Audible was like, "I know what like you zombies. want this," <laughs> and I did. It was a good one. It's like a two and a half hour uh, read. I highly recommend. Yeah, it. we'll probably do an episode on it. Anyways, uh, right at the beginning, she defines zombies um, in a broad sense as the control of one entity by another. Uh, the, de the definition goes beyond the traditional pop culture depiction of zombies as undead creatures. Instead, it encompasses, encompasses any scenario where an entity is controlled by another, mm. um, suggesting that zombies, in a metaphorical sense, are indeed among us. Oh. Uh, some examples include the parasitic relationship uh, of, uh, in nature. Uh, some parasites can manipulate the behavior of their hosts. For example, the parasitic wasp larvae inside a caterpillar can... can, can can control its behavior, um, or Toxoplasmos uh, gondii parasite, which can alter the behavior of rodents and make them less fearful of cats. Why does this parasite want them to be not afraid of cats? That's because, fascinating. So um, Toxoplasmosis, it spreads through the um, intestinal bacteria of cats. Wow. See, that's an intelligent parasite. So, yeah, so it it um it infects the rodent and the rodent's like, I'm not afraid of this cat. And the cat's like, food and eats it. <laughs> and then suddenly it be, be, the parasite goes inside of the cat. The cat can also give this to humans and it causes depression in humans. Wow. So a lot of people who have unsanitary, unsanitary um, kitty litter box situations also tend to um, suffer uh, severe depression. Wow. Uh, because they are infected with toxoplasmosis. Wow. <laughs> Learn something new every day. Um, also, symbiotic relationships. Uh, one organism may exert a certain degree of control over another, as uh, certain types of fungi that form relationship with plants can influence their growth. Also, you know, like the last of us, the uh, uh, cordyceps uh, fungus can control uh, ghost moths and caterpillars and things like that. Mm. Ants as well. Uh, technological control uh, in a more technological sense, this can refer to uh, the use of technology to control machines or even humankind. You know, like that thing that's in your pocket. 
that you stare at in the middle of the night and you hope that it'll give you joy so you can go back to sleep. I mostly hope that I can dissociate from whatever I'm feeling when it's 4 a.m. Um, psychological influences can, can encompass scenarios where one person or a group exerts psychological control over others, such as in cases of manipulation or indoctrination. So, like, if you're part of a cult, that's zombieism in a way. What was that cult show that we watched recently? The oh, documentary? Oh, it was about the Twin Flames. Oh, the Twin that Flames. That was quite entertaining. Definitely watch that. Yeah, they were love zombies for sure. Yeah, they just wanted to find their twin flame. Uh, corporate or governmental control. A, a broader, on a broader societal level, this might refer to ways in which organizations or governments control or influence the behavior of individuals or other entities. Mm. Um, MAGA. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the Clayarch disease takes control of its host but, uh, to propagate its existence, it hijacks the reward centers of the brain, and influences the host to seek out, infect, and mate with uninfected humans. Uh, so the definition given by Zombified, Clayark, is technically a zombie book. And it's a lot like The Girl with the Gifts, The Girl with All the Gifts. A little bit, yeah. Um, where, I mean, the original virus is one where, uh, is it a virus? No, it's also mushrooms, isn't it? It's also fungus. Mm -hmm. The original fungus, fungal infection uh takes over you and you're not totally intelligent although there was some sense of like m human memory in the original ones but then they also anybody who was pregnant makes this like next generation yeah. zombie that is both sentient and human and zombie yeah you know what girl with all the gifts kind of is very similar to clay's arc in a lot of ways yeah um you know because like uh, the girl with all the gifts had um the original zombies which are much more like the zombies that we were that we expect from a zombie book but if it, if the book was just about the second generation zombies you'd be like this isn't a zombie book that's just a girl that can jump really high and is really smart with numbers so this is actually a great segue to some of the themes we want to talk about um and one that i actually think about all the time which is like what is a human what is an animal in fact the first episode that we had josh grant come and chat with us we got into the beginning of a debate on whether or not humans are animals, um, which I am on the side of humans are animals. But this is a theme that. Yeah, Octavia... you hear that, Josh? You can't defend yourself. <laughs> we'll have that a debate in the future, Josh, uh, in more detail. So you can you can uh, fight back. But in Octavia's book, there's definitely this question of like, what does it actually mean to be human? And how do you know when you're human or animal? And Eli is clinging desperately to uh, these norms that humans uh, typically in North American society hold like, for example, at one point he's got a full on harem and he's loving it. OK, he's having a great time. But the human part of him, quote unquote, is like, this is not civilized. This isn't human. I'm like succumbing to the virus too much. And that's actually why they start finding other dudes and kidnapping them and infecting them so that he can stop having sex with all of them. Yeah. Um, you know, that might also be part of the uh, viruses. Uh, programming too because it wants genetic diversity yeah so is it was it his decision to be more human or was it the virus telling him to get more biodiversity well i mean how much of our decisions as humans are just like our own independent thoughts and how much of it is biological programming anyways yeah how how do we know that it's not just the bacteria in our in, under our toenails that is making all of our decisions for us i mean our gut controls a lot our gut bacteria that's a whole universe yeah. in there the whole <laughs> galaxy of stuff controlling you and then like think about how many people have kids how do we have so many kids on the planet kids are really hard there's a biological impulse where, that we're oh, driven yeah. by when you have a kid you become a zombie to that child oh my god you do and like i'm not gonna name names but i have 
a few friends who have had kids that uh, don't really sound so happy about it. But the, <laughs> the the compulsion, like the desire, the romance of it was there. And I've had that feeling myself. Um, but like Eli, I thought to myself, I might have this impulse, which I would argue is an animal impulse to because I am an animal to reproduce. But the rest of me was like, you know what I also really want to sleep in. So yeah. more money in our pockets. Yeah. <laughs> To enjoy a yeah. swimming pool without getting splashed and screamed at. One less human to uh, <laughs> consume intense amounts of resources unnecessarily. And yeah. there's lots already that are here. Yeah. Also, I want to keep all my Legos to myself. I don't want to share. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just want puppies. But regardless, like, there is this play of, like, what's a primal instinct? Uh, and is that animal or are they still human? And I, I'm curious what you think about this, Dan. About what? <laughs> are they human or are they animal? Or are they something else? Are they just a zombie? Well, you know, I, I think that a lot of being human is society. Yeah. Um, I think it's when culture. it comes down to it, we're, we're animals and we've made up a whole bunch of other rules for how we behave because we created societies. Yeah. So, uh, so these people have become animals because they are creating a different society other than human. But it's but they're interesting. holding on to their old societal ways. They are creating their own cultural rules. Yeah. So there's still there's still some humanity intact there. But they're also just they're also animals. And some of those like animalian, animalian instincts are harder. I think they're harder to suppress when you are infected. Yeah. But, you know, like humans aren't unique in like creating separate rules for how to govern each other. Like if you just watch horses, like the way that horses have society within themselves mm -hmm. it's like it's like they all know the rules but like we would have to study them to understand yeah and yet they still have to learn things like human beings i think some people think that animals that are not human non-human animals don't have cultures but they do like um if you've ever seen a horse that has not been socialized or like grew up alone they don't know what the fuck they're doing mm -hmm. like they don't know how to integrate into a herd um there's one actually that Atlas beat the shit out of once my horse, my old horse that died uh, because they'd never live with any other horses. They put them into the herd with everybody else. And Atlas is typically the leader of a herd or was. And this horse just could not get it, like did not understand personal space. <laughs> That's how I feel trying to make new friends. But regardless, and like, I'm a horse that hasn't been hasn't been around other horses. Yeah. The fact <laughs> there are so many cultures around the world is something that I think is is somewhat unique. To humans, I won't deny that, but all species, or not sure they all, but many other species have learned behaviors as well. Um, but it's interesting because you can see the ways that they are changed. Like Stephen Kaneshiro, who is the love interest of Rain that you mentioned earlier, was a master violinist before he was infected. And now he he doesn't pick up the violin, I think, because he can't play or it doesn't give him pleasure anymore. I think it doesn't give him pleasure anymore because I think that the way that the, the disease changes them technically he would probably be way better at, by, at violin if he had the desire to do it but he only has the desire to like build this new society in his in, in, a, in a new family and spread this disease yeah it's like they're captives in their own bodies because it's some part of them doesn't want to do any of this but the other part of them really really does yeah and um, the other thing is like they love their mutant children their clay arc children uh but they also know that uh the reality is the more that they have babies which they're going to keep having them because they're fucking all the time the more likely that those babies are going to go start and eat humans like i'm sorry i'm getting a phone call um but i think it's like it does 
question that like animal instinct versus human civilization. And that was definitely a theme. And I would argue that uh, I'm a little bit more on the those two things can't be separated so much than I think Octavia's point where she was trying to, I think, juxtapose, like, what does it mean to be human or animal? And this infection is making us more animal. What do you do you agree or disagree? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I've seen a lot of things in this world um, and I've seen plenty of human beings who are 100 percent animal. And uh, and I don't think that these new infected humans are more or less animal. I think that uh, they're just they're just human plus, like Eli says at the beginning mm. of the book. He's he's still human, but he's just a little bit more human, a little bit more. He's he's a I mean, really, they're like a new species in a way or, yeah. or a precursor to the new species. But what do you mean by you've seen humans that are 100 percent animal? You know, that's unfair to animals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I've I've seen people do some pretty horrific things. I've seen people definitely cast away this idea that we have of humanity. Mm. Um, the th- The thing that we all claim makes us human I've definitely seen some people who don't have that and are still technically homo sapiens. Mm. Yeah, I don't I don't think that there's that there's anything specifically about these infected people that are any different from any of the human beings I've seen who didn't follow those societal norms that we determined are human. Yeah, I think as a social species, we have norms um, around like not killing each other, sharing all of those things. And I hear these are all suggestions. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I think, uh, I do think what you're saying is a little bit speciesist because it has this implication that animals are inherently more likely to be violent and harmful, which is not true. Some animals can do shitty things like when lions eat cubs of like, uh, another male lions, babies or whatever, but humans are just as capable. I think that's one of the hard things about being a human though is like having a moral compass being taught that understanding that we all need each other and then also seeing us do terrible things when people are down but i think the other question here is like are they an evolved species or a devolved species is jacob our sphinx play arc baby kid the future yes de- uh, jacob's definitely the future especially when jacob snuck into uh, rain's room um, perched himself on top of her headboard uh, like a cat and looked at her and said, you smell like food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the future. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I mean, if, if you look at how the disease um, mutates these people, like it's enhancing their senses. It's giving them more, more tensile strength in their muscles. It's making them healthier. Um, it's, it's doing this because it's trying to make the best possible host for that alien disease to live inside of so that's definitely um that's definitely an evolution um they're not reverting back to a a a previous uh primate in our in our uh in our you know evolution chain so this is definitely evolution and it's you know i think i think it's good so does jacob you think it's good yeah i I don't think it's good because apparently dogs die in this universe they get infected Uh, and they die and that's really sad yeah, the disease doesn't like dogs, apparently. I don't think it likes a lot of carnivores. I'm pretty sure its intention is to just, like, make this humanoid play arc sphinx thing, like the apex predator. Well, I don't and just know. I mean, I think, like, it, it said that it didn't, it didn't infect herbivores. No, because they want to eat them. Yeah. Um, so I think it just, it's just really picky as to what it does infect. 
And maybe it's just a matter of like when they went to uh, Proxima Centauri, they they had time for that that bacteria to get used to uh, human cells. Mm. So it's infecting humans faster than it's infecting others. Maybe those dogs will eventually um, the, the the virus will eventually adapt to infect dogs. But right away. It's just like, what is this weird four-legged human that doesn't have the same DNA as this human? Let's kill it. I definitely want to see, like, I was why I want to read the future books. Be like, what is this world now when this virus, or not virus, I keep calling it a virus, when this microorganism is essentially taken over? Because that's what we're looking at, I'm sure. A bunch of Jacobs. Yeah. Um, the, the book also raises a lot of ethical questions, as most zombie books do, about the choices individuals make in extreme circumstances. So one of the key what would you do's here is, Okay, you've been abducted by this family that is a bunch of alien zombies and they scratch you and you learn that you are now, whether you like it or not, highly infectious and anywhere you go, you're going to infect people. What do you do? You know, I uh, I thought about this, you know, once once they once they escaped, it's just like, you know, the, the whole world, the way that it, Octavia describes it is kind of fucked anyways. It's a mess. Like if like there's there's some highways that they don't even call roads anymore. They just call them sewers. <laughs> yeah. Sewer people. Sewer and, you rats. know, I just just affect everyone. Just you know what? Just like let's let's just fuck this whole place up. Maybe this alien microorganism is the solution. Yeah, that's what I think, because like, you know, Jacob seems pretty happy. He's really sweet, too. Yeah. He just wants to eat people. That's yeah. All. He's like the he's like the girl with all the gifts, kids. You know, they deserve a chance. Yeah, they have and rights. You know what? The girls, the girls with all the gifts, they were the future. Yeah, and I think Jacob's the future too. We're all gonna be little cat boys. Yep, or eaten by them. Yeah, yeah. We'll be. We'll either be food or we will be them. So you would you would go with the I'm not going to the slow approach where I hide myself in the desert and just occasionally infect people because I'm desperate slash need them to have somebody to have sex with. You are of the approach of I'm gonna like go straight into town and scratch everybody I see. Yeah, I think at a certain point, like, I think that there was some programming that went into, like, building that little inoculation station of mm. the ranch where they they were allowing the the disease to, like, really learn the human body. Interesting. And figure it out. And it was going to go come out eventually, and it's like, now, now that it's out, it's like this like super good version of itself that's just like, I know what to do with humans. Mm. Let's just uh, now now it's time to spread. You know, it's like when we had uh, when we had original COVID <laughs> and then we got COVID, COVID light and like and like diet COVID and caffeine free COVID. Mm. You know, like now we're getting like like crystal COVID and crystal COVID is going to be great. I'm pretty sure that's not how it's working, but you're doing a great job of promoting people just spreading COVID everywhere. Yeah. Get COVID. <laughs> we have not, as far as we know, which is probably because we live in the woods. But uh, I think what's interesting here, and I appreciate it because I've seen this happen, particularly when I was a, a teacher, is at the beginning, um, Blake really believes that he, these people are fucking horrible horrible and by people i mean the clay's are people the people who are already infected for doing this like why would you do this to people why wouldn't you just go to a hospital get yourself quarantined and have this fixed like he could not comprehend the uh impulse to do it and he thought that they were just disgusting people yeah. but then eventually he himself is infected and realizes that like this is nothing he can control and i think this is actually a situation frequently 
for people in real life, not uh, being horny, incestuous zombies. But what is real is uh, I think people assume that when they hear horrible situations, other people are in. And then they hear people do things that they see as horrible, that they would never do that in a million years. Like, for example, I remember teaching about residential schools, um, Indian residential schools, as they were called then, indigenous folks being kids being forcibly taken from their families and being put into these schools where they were abused, um, sexually assaulted, killed, neglected, uh, had their culture torn from them. It was just horrible. And I remember when I shared this in one class, one student just would not believe that they would let their kids go. They were convinced that they would <coughs> protect their children. They were convinced that they would protect their children and like nothing would ever allow that to happen. Or like people who are like, well, if I was born in Germany, 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 <laughs> if I was born in Germany, Germany, uh, 1942. Yeah. If I was born in Germany in the 1930s, uh, I would never become a Nazi. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think that's necessarily true either. It's, just, it's that same mentality of like, well, if somebody comes to my house, I'm going to fight them off in the lawn. Yeah. If a grizzly bear comes at me in the woods, I'm going to wrestle him. <laughs> yeah, it's like we, we all want to believe that we would be the good person. Or like, you know, if I was a white person uh, earlier, I would not do all these atrocious fucking things to people who are, I have, uh, through the sheer power of my calling myself white, labeled as uh, lesser than me and my family. Like, I want to believe I would never do those things, but I don't think that that's how this stuff works. I think sometimes you're put into a context where you don't really have a lot of choice because we are, we're products of our environment and our genetics. That's my deep thoughts. Would you capture people and turn them into zombies? I think I would because I'd have this thing inside of me that forced me to. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, I want to believe that I would be this ethical fucking beacon in all of these like circumstances that we know historically are horrible. Uh, but the reality is, is probably not. Probably not. You know, unless I had the rare privilege of having different experiences. But odds are I probably would have been a shitty, shitty white person. Maybe I am already. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we're shitty white people. <laughs> <laughs> we're like recovering shitty white people, I guess. Survival tips, Leah. Do you have any yeah. good survival tips? Mm, uh, don't drive on roads that say they're unprotected. But if you do and you get scratched, just go ahead and spread it. Yeah, just spread it. That's a big one. Uh, Dan, I think you really want to say this next survival tip. Cat people are the future. Just spread it. Yeah. Yeah, just become a cat. Just succumb to your base animal instincts. Yeah. And spread it. And uh, also, my, my next survival tip is uh, that sometimes putting your humanity on pause is the only way to get out of a bad spot. Um, and what I'm referring to is uh, when Rain was abducted by the Carr family and bad things happened, uh, she, she, uh, she went on a shooting spree, but she, did, but she stopped. She spared a bunch of people. You know, yeah. she stopped and she was like, it's like, ah, I'm human. You know, I can't kill all these people. So she like tried to intimidate them and escaped and lost her head in the process. So, uh, you know, I feel if uh, Rain had switched her rifle uh, from semi to full and just wholesale executed the whole car family instead of trying to spare their lives, um, she might have made it out with her head attached. Mm, that's sad. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's the type of, you know, those, those are the quandaries that I've had to find myself in. You know, anybody who's been in the military has had to to. Uh, to have that light switch for humanity, like, you know, am I going to make this out, make it out of here alive or am I going to, you know, try to spare people? 
Yeah, compassion versus the, the desire for survival. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, just flip that light switch. Just turn it off sometimes. It's fine. Mm. <laughs> Do it at the grocery store. Just like, hey, I need some grated cheese. <laughs> and uh, there's only one package left, and I see some kid down there eyeballing it. I'm just going to kick him out of the way and grab it. That's us with all the stadium dogs, the Hildreth <laughs> Stadium dogs. <laughs> They're in stock. Um, and my last survival tip is don't eat raw meat from a car family fridge. Um, unless you're infected with an alien virus and uh, that needs to feed, then eat all of the meat. Is that survival tip inspired by our binging of Bar Rescue and all the disgusting kitchens that we've seen? Oh, no. I just remember the scene where uh, where Rain, before the scene that we had to have a trigger warning for, mm. um, she just decided to go to their fridge and just start eating all the raw meat. <laughs> and it's probably, you know... It, it it fed it fed the virus inside of her and she started to feel like like her abilities increasing, you know, which was great, um, except it made her really horny and then bad things happened. <laughs> raw meat makes her horny. Yeah, there are some like Achilles heels of this zombie yeah. <laughs> microorganism for sure. Like sometimes these things are good, sometimes not. Well, this brings me to my favorite part, um, which I'm not going to call the racist, sexist, classist, misogynistic uh of the living dead i'm just gonna call it the race we're gonna talk about race we're gonna talk about sex and no longer am i talking about sex like having the sex i'm talking about your sex meaning like are you uh guava doce are look that up if you don't know that I is a sex that is. identity it's somebody um there's two there's probably a few other places in the world there's two cultures that i know of or ethnic groups that i know of one of them i believe is in papua new guinea and the other one is somewhere in latin america uh, where they have a genetic predisposition to this thing where uh, kids are born, uh, but you don't know what gender they are all the time because their testicles don't drop, drop till they're 12. That's why they're called uh. guevedoche. And so they're considered a third sex. So you'd have male, female, and guevedoche. Yeah, I think that was probably me when I was a kid. <laughs> but then, man, they dropped. And they continue to drop. Yeah, but there was no Gleva Doce category for you. So I, this is going to be like anthropology 101 for a minute. There's this. Uh, so the idea that people are only male or female is actually a cultural concept, not a biological fact. And there are many cultures around the world that have what are called supernumerary sexes. So they would have like male, female, Gleva Doce, male, female, two spirited, male, female. Um, trying to think of the there's a uh, people they're they're. Uh, People with penises who choose to cut them off to worship a goddess. And I believe in Gujarat, India. I forget what they call themselves. So they actually change their gender as adults. That's commitment. Yeah. But anyways, this is like there's lots of sex identities beyond just male and female, not to mention just being intersex. And that it's just biologically untrue that there's just two opposites. So well, anyway, thank, thank you for explaining that. <laughs> this has been, been quite a quite a, uh, a, a diversion from where, where you were going with that. But I. Uh, I, I learned something new. Yeah. I, my point is I wasn't talking about <laughs> incest or sexual assault. I'm talking about your identity um, yeah. and category, which, again, is cultural, not biological. OK, so the reason why I'm not uh, calling it racist, sexist, misogynistic, whatever, is because actually, unsurprisingly, Octavia Butler does a pretty good job on most things. Obviously, she passes the race test as one of the first um, famous black female authors of science fiction. Um, so just a reminder of the, what the race test is, it assesses as a work has meaningful representation of racial and ethnic diversity among its characters. Um, and there's certainly that in the book. You have lots of black characters. 
Eli is a black man. Um, Blake was married to a black woman. So Kira and Rain are mixed race. Um, there's a few other side characters that are Latine or Asian. Not clear um, where Stephen Kaneshiro is from. My point is that all of them have rich lives uh, and they're not just like one dimensional characters like that one guy you told me who was like writing about zombies the whole time without describing race and then decided to just describe mm. the one black zombie he saw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the opposite of that. Uh, and as Dan said in the intro, Octavia Butler is considered a key figure in Afrofuturism, which is a super cool genre um, that centers black history and culture and incorporates science fiction technology and futuristic elements into literature music and visual arts just like imagine what the future could be so um really this goes well beyond just passing the test i think that yeah she does an excellent job of not centering white people because i think that's what you know is the beauty of having literature written by not just white people yeah and you know actually i, I kind of had um had an issue the opposite direction with this and i don't mm -hmm. know if it was said at the beginning or some point but i didn't know blake was white yeah i didn't know until the very end and i was like oh well that changes how i picture this person in my brain yeah <laughs> it's interesting because like race is present in the book uh but it's not the center of the book and so there are definitely times where people's races are ambiguous and that's probably intentional on Octavia's part. I'd have to read more to know for sure, but I would I would bet that that's intentional for Octavia. Yeah. Yeah. Um sexism. Let's talk about this. My so, favorite. <laughs> there are pretty strong complex female characters, particularly Kira and Rain. So it does pass the Bechdel test, which is uh three criteria, at least two named female characters, a conversation between them that's not about a man. That happens multiple times uh in the book. So yeah, it easily passes the Bechdel test. Uh, and I think that it's probably progressive for its moment in time, 1984, the year of my birth. Also a great book. Uh, and the year of my first birthday. <laughs> yeah. I got three Matchbox cars and I put them in my mouth. Now y'all know how old we are. Oldies <laughs> over here. Do the math. <laughs> uh, but my point is, is that while it is progressive in many ways, I think that it's also of its time in the sense that it's not really interrogating gendered stereotypes or norms. Like, for example, um, women's appearance is featured a lot, especially related to their sexual attractiveness and especially related to men who have become infected with this zombie microorganism who are like surprised that they're like looking at a woman who doesn't meet this criteria that we have invented as a culture of what's attractive and be like, I still want to fuck her. What's happening? Yeah, I mean, it's. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm pretty sure uh, it, it goes basically like this. Like, you look at that. Oh, go. I want a banger. Yes. And there's like a lot of that. <laughs> and there's a lot of just like sexualized descriptions of women. And again, and like not so much sexualized descriptions of men. Again, I think like it's 1984. It's, we women have barely had uh, the right to own their own bank account. <laughs> yeah. So I think Octavia was doing pretty good. It definitely fails the Vito Russo test, which is the test for whether or not um, there are meaningful LGBTQIA mm. characters um, that talk to each other with something other than or like are represented with something other than their sexuality or gender identity. In fact, I'd say that like the virus basically eliminates LGBTQIA in general because it's like the virus is like you have a penis, you have a vagina, now make babies. Yeah, they don't seem to exist in this world period, but if they did, it seems like that would be the solution because you just want to, yeah. Yeah. Peeve goes in V. That's you know, it, it would be interesting to see like 
the the struggle the struggles that somebody would have if they were somebody who was a uh, who um you know was LGBT and got this virus and now suddenly like the virus is telling them to procreate with the opposite the opposite sex yeah who knows I mean yeah maybe that's in the future books but either way there's lack of awareness here and that's not to be uh unexpected for this time frame however octavia is always excellent at interrogating class and classism so this is a big part of this dystopian future i mean you can already see it in 1984 it's certainly present then and now it's more exacerbated in 2021 according to octavia so you have this really extreme discrepancy of people who are living in these gated communities called enclaves um they're like islands that are surrounded by these vast crowded vulnerable residential areas that are um, called sewers, which are utterly lawless. Um, they are quote unquote economic ghettos and they just like eat each other alive. It's essentially zombies, really, in the way that you just described them. It's yeah. desperate people, sounds, really, really desperate people who are just compelled to survive. Yeah, it sounds a lot like Detroit after 2008. Yeah, well, that's not. Let's give the Detroit <laughs> people some credit. For one, Detroit. Is one of the coolest places that's like reimagining society because of the collapse. I of love that Detroit, city. but if if you ever wanted to experience what like a post apocalyptic nightmare was like, two thousand eight Detroit was like the place you should go. Also, you should watch the movie Barbarian, which is set in Detroit. Oh, yeah, that's scary. Anyhow, um, my point is is that these enclaves, they're gated communities, they're rare. There are still some people who are wealthy enough, like Blake and his family, because he's a doctor. He has a highly skilled person that is valuable uh, but they are getting attacked all the time which is a theme in a lot of octavia's books where they get taken over by um what are called car families car themselves cars themselves are actually very rare um and so having a nice car is a status symbol but it also makes you a target to the car families um and what's interesting is that there's a real dehumanization of lower classes so they call um the highways roads and city streets where car families are the sewers and the people sewer rats or sewer slugs. <laughs> yeah, sewer slugs is a especially, uh, especially interesting term. Yeah, it's <laughs> gross. And but the, the I think what's interesting here is these people are desperate, but they're desperate because they have nothing. And the way that you can justify doing keeping all your things to yourself and surviving and not helping these people who are desperate or trying to fix it is by calling them sewer rats or sewer slugs again like they're they're thinking of them as animals versus humans there's again this like dichotomy that's i don't think invertebrates really even yeah and that's a classic thing sidebar for genocides like um with rwanda's genocide uh the the hutu started calling the tutsi cockroaches and that was like one of, that's one of the classic things if you start to hear dehumanizing language about anybody that is an early sign of um genocide yeah. yeah, or Israeli defense forces calling Palestinians animals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or savages, which by the word, why, by the word, by the way, don't use the word savage. It's really derogatory towards indigenous folks. I think there's been like a weird cultural resurgence. Just don't look up the meaning of the word. Don't do it. Don't use it to describe anybody. Uh, it's unfortunate because cool. I really like that word, but oh. it's... <laughs> not good that is such a white man thing to say i, I want to say the word i don't I like I'm, not, it. I'm not i'm not arguing that i should be allowed to say it but yeah. i am uh saying that i did like the word not in its in its uh 
the framed in the way that it is harmful to people. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think that's one of the hard things about um, I shouldn't say hard, but one of the confusing things when you're part of a privileged group of people and you start using a word and you think it's you, you we, we are tempted and want to abstract it from its cultural context and its history of oppression. But for the people who are oppressed and have been oppressed, it is just never going to be OK. So the least we can do is not use it. Uh, let's talk about what you love from this movie. Dan, oh. or movie. Let's talk about what you love from this book. Yeah, I'll tell you what I love from this movie, Leah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I found that the moments that the story moved forward to be very interesting. Um, when we got a chance to see the world that the story takes place in, the interactions with the characters outside of the ranch, uh, Octavia's writing came to life. And uh, also, I rather enjoyed the gunfight at the fuel station. Yeah. Which served to not only showcase their enhanced abilities, but also the waning state of their humanity. Yeah. It was a good scene. I loved it. Um, hold on. What was what, something that I... Oh, these are yours. Yeah. Something okay. that I really loved that if it initially sort of turned you off, but zombified got you around to it, which is just the unique concept of a zombie. Yeah. I really thought that that was interesting and different. And I love the world building. Like, I could picture this world. It felt scary. Um, and it felt plausible for... I mean, minus the fact that we were, like, traveling to distant galaxies. <laughs> That part wasn't so. Well, we know a, that hasn't happened. It's not the a distant galaxy. It's uh, so um, Alpha Centauri is the nearest star to our solar system. It's like four and a half light years away. Yeah. So it's like the nearest star system that we that we could feasibly travel to um, with with our current with our current technology. We could probably do it in like a hundred years, mm. maybe. I don't know. That might be well, it's definitely might, Proxima Centauri, which but apparently this is still a planet around near. Alpha Centauri. Yeah. So but regardless, whether it's being close, it's 2023. We have not done this. We've certainly not yeah. sent humans that are alive <laughs> there and back. No, definitely not. So I can understand but that that's would be plausible to imagine in 1984. But we definitely didn't get there. And it makes me wonder about how much my imagination of the future of 38 years from now is a little bit like blown out of proportion. Yeah. Well, I I, we definitely thought that we were going to have uh, hover hoverboards and um, yeah. self self tying Nikes. I thought I was going to be in the Jetsons. I thought I'd be in a self driving car already. I know they're like just getting started, but I thought yeah. I'd be in one. We'd we'd all have our own um, CN tower that we live inside of, <laughs> uh, <laughs> or just the world's over because climate change uh, and political instability. You know, if war. you think about the Jetsons, not to sidebar too much. Wait, do you ever see the ground in the Jetsons? I don't remember. It's no, been a long time. You don't. You never see it. They're all in the sky. You know what you do see? The clouds below the Jetsons, Jetsons apartment building. That's really sad. I want to be on the ground. It's all smog. What's going on down there? Is it not good? It's, uh, it's all Octavia Butler world. Oh, my there. God. I never <laughs> thought about that. That's really sad. But I'll end with my last favorite thing about this book, which is that it passed my Leah's attention span test with flying colors. I was hooked from the beginning to the end, which I am not always, as you all know. And I am definitely going to read the other three books in the series. In fact, if my real life book club would just do that with me, then maybe I would keep going because <laughs> I don't read fast enough to keep up with like what I want to read and what they want to read and zombie book club. But I overall really love this book. Hey, you want to read a book where a bunch of horny cat boys go around and attack people? <laughs> I mean, to be fair to the, the book club that is not a zombie book club, they do love some dystopian shit. Yeah. You know, you know yeah. what? It, that's 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 a plus. 
So, Dan, you had a lot of feelings about this book that were different from mine. What do you, what do you uh, call, like, the bad? The bad. <laughs> uh, so, I felt that the narrative of Clay's arc could have benefited from tighter editing. Much like this episode um, will need. Yes. <laughs> and if you're listening to it, it has been edited to perfection. <laughs> and you'll be like, what? They need to edit this? Sounds fine to me. I'm, I am talented. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I am of the belief that a significant portion, roughly two thirds of this uh, book consisted of exp uh, expositionary dialogue mm. that repetitively conveys the same information to three different characters. She wants to drive it home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, while uh, I believe that exposition is ne a necessary element in storytelling, especially in science fiction, its effectiveness can vary depending on the delivery. Um, in this case, although the dialogue is often more engaging um, medium for exposition compared to narration, the repetitive nature of these uh, conversations ham hampers the story's pace. Um, the novel might have been more impactful if it had presented these explanatory <laughs> dialogues uh, more succinctly. A more streamlined approach could have involved uh, depicting that each character received the essential information while sparing the reader from repeated exposition. Mm. Um, this would have allowed for a smoother narrative flow. Probably uh, would have made the book a lot shorter. Yes. Since you said it was two-thirds of it. Enhancing the reader's engagement by focusing on a plot progression and character development rather than on reiterating background details. Yeah, it would have been a lot shorter. It would, it would, it would have been what you would expect from a first act. Mm. All of that exposition, all that shit that happens on the ranch would have been one act, one third of the book. You would have been like, oh, that's weird. These people are like cat people from space. <laughs> let's move on to something more interesting. And then they'd be like, let's have some gunfights with car people. There could have been more of that. That's true. But yeah. I what's so fascinating is it just shows you how these experiences are subjective. I don't disagree. There's a lot of exposition. But I didn't notice or care. Like I said, I was captivated. And then I read about the context in which this book was written, uh, which made me love it even more, which is that it was uh, being written while her friend was dying of leukemia. Uh, and literally, Octavia was racing against time to try and finish this book so her friend could read it and ultimately, you know, see herself be saved by an extraterrestrial microorganism virus <laughs> zombie thing. But whatever, she was trying to push out a, a chapter a week. For her friend to read. So I think that that's probably why some of these things are not as polished as other books from Octavia Butler. My rebuttal. Mm. Uh, I do agree that that is a, a good explanation of why it's written the way that it is. And it is accepted uh, in, in the, the lexicon of how this book was written. <laughs> yeah, and her, desire, her uh, desire to save her friend shows up in the way that Kira... However, Surprise. there's a thing called editing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that while it's great that she wrote a chapter a week for her friend to experience this book while she was dying, that's wonderful. That is a great reason to write a book. It's a great way to write a book. Um, but anybody who's participated in NaNoWriMo knows, well, at least some of them know. <laughs> What's NaNoWriMo for the crowd? National November Writing Month. Mm. It's this whole thing where the, in the month of November, all of these people do daily writing sprints to write a book in one month. Got it. That is the challenge. Uh, so 
um, anyone who writes a book during NaNoWriMo writes essentially what is a kind of a piece of shit. Mm. Um, but if they then spend some time editing it, then it can be a good book and they can publish it. Uh, most people know that in NaNoWriMo. And I feel like if, if, if she took this book that she wrote a chapter a week of and then did some some like really intense editing and cut down a lot of that exposition. She wouldn't have a book. Yeah, but you can you <laughs> can be a, it would be a novella. You she can fine. write more. You know, like I know that she delivered it to her friend, but like if she was then going to deliver it to the public, she could have delivered a more complete and succinct story. I have a feeling that if writing a book is tied to the watching somebody you love dearly slowly um succumb to cancer and die as someone who's seen that uh i can imagine that she probably didn't want to pick it back up but if this is like in memoriam wouldn't she want this to be the best possible version of itself so you are doing exactly the thing that i said people do which is you are assuming that if you were not in her shoes that you would somehow be better at this situation and what i'm saying is let's just have empathy that that she decided that this was the book no <laughs> i guess you feel that way because you had to read it yeah i just think it could have been a better book probably if her friend wasn't dying from leukemia when she wrote it yeah yeah but like it, it got published you know like it like it could have just gone through a few more filters before you see it was what's printed. on Netflix, right? You watch the reality shows that I force. That's you to exactly watch, what I mean. And they're all there. And there's a ton of fucking horrible exposition in TV and movies and it gets published. So, yeah, I know. I know it bothers you, but I just think like you're holding her to a standard that we don't even hold. Uh, I hold them to that. You hold that standard, but publishers I do. don't. If 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 I if I watch a show that is all exposition. I'm like, wow, what a horrible piece of garbage. It's Remember true. we were watching that one show me. that your brother really loved? Oh, yeah, that was terrible. I don't remember what it's called. And like the first two episodes were really cool. And then there was eight episodes that followed that were just them meeting up and having brunch while discussing the things that were happening. Yeah, it was boring. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Mm. It's really this is so interesting. So let's talk about our Z ratings. because This also just shows you how divided we are in our household about this book. <laughs> I give it nine out of 10 Zs. I fucking love it. And I only took a point off for you because you're right. There was a lot of exposition, but yeah. I didn't care or notice. I'm giving it six out of 10. Um, shaking my head right now. And, you know, I think that this that the story itself is very interesting. Um, I think the book could have been better. Hmm. the idea was good the book was okay yeah well i'm definitely going to read the rest of them you probably won't but i'll tell you about it tell me all about it and what i would say is if you've listened to this and you have not read clay's arc and you've also not read an octavia butler book i would actually say go and you love dystopian futures go and read the parable of the sower there are no zombies but there are also sort of zombies because there's this uh these they're called pyros and they're addicted to this really insane drug that makes them burn everything up uh, and attack people all the time. So they're kind of zombie-like. Yeah, drug zombies. Yeah, it's like zombie adjacent, or maybe could be argued to be zombies, but I guess I don't want Dan's um, frustration with this book to deter you from reading Octavia Butler if you have not. I, I don't think that there is a ton of exposition in that book because it's all about this one main character like trying to move through a long distance to get to a place that's safe, which, spoiler, no one's safe. 
<laughs> no, we're safe. Yeah, they should all just turn into cat people. I mean, that's one solution. Yeah. Um, I actually, I was very interested in the idea of, of Parable of the Sower when you were reading. Yeah, maybe like a really cool book. We could we could potentially do it in the future. Um, yeah. Give it a little bit of space and then come back around to Octavia. Which, yeah. by the way, what a great name. It is. I wish I had that name. I mean, you could <laughs> rename yourself Octavia. Yeah, then maybe people on threads wouldn't diss me for being a dude. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. You're in your feels about that. So Dan uh, recommended Girl with All the Gifts on a thread about uh, what's a book written by men that does uh, women justice. And what did one woman say back to you? <laughs> and when, when I suggested uh, um, Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey, uh, her response was, says the man. <laughs> <laughs> Which made me chuckle. Yeah. Loved it. It was it was a pretty weird, <laughs> pretty weird place to go, considering it was just asking people and it didn't specify like what what I needed to be. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, I think they were just playing around. But let's talk about our next book for episode 30. Yeah, if you're part of the book club and I really hope you are, um, we are the next book that we are reading uh, is Sylvester Barzi's book, Planet Dead. We, we have a copy and we're going to read it with our eyes. We are going to read it. I know it's a it's an actual book, an actual physical book, which, by the way, if you order something from Sylvester Barzi, there are a lot of like fun surprises in it. I don't oh, mean yeah. just the, the plot or the characters. I mean, like goodies in the book. That was super fun to discover. But uh, in a nutshell, this is um, a world that goes to hell in a zombie handbasket. That is not my cleverness. I'm pretty sure that's Sylvester Barzi's. Uh, but you find out that the true evil hides among the living. Whoa. Yeah. Set in a politically isolated future where the wall is built and America has turned its back on many of its allies. Oh, my God. That feels very real, too. Yeah. This is very Afrofuturist. An unknown virus has been released into the world and those infected die rapidly and painfully only to return as bloodthirsty zombies. In this world where you can't trust the government and survivors have proven to be worse than the dead, all you can count on is family. Again, everything I just read. Was not me. So That's it's basically the Fast and the Furious, but with zombies. Yes. And all I know is that when we got it, I knew we didn't have time to read it together yet. But I opened up the book to a random page and there was the most disturbing description of human cannibals, um, human clown cannibals specifically that I am sold. But there will definitely need to be a trigger warning if you have any fear of clowns yeah. or cannibalism. And, you know, I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of people on um, on Instagram say that this book is incredible. Yeah. And I'm excited because um, Sylvester Barzi is one of my new favorite people on Instagram. And uh, I think, I think he's great and I want him to have all the success. Yeah. And he just had a baby. Congratulations, Sylvester. Congrats. If I may, <laughs> if I may address you by your first name, congratulations. <laughs> I think we can. He gave yeah. us his, he gave us his full name. He did. And you it's can right find on him book. on Instagram at Sylvester Barzi. Uh, <laughs> it'll be in the show notes. But uh, in the meantime, make sure that you subscribe, rate, review. It helps us spread like a virus or an extraterrestrial micro microorganism. Yeah. Help us uh, infect new listeners through their ear holes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and threads. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Like Leah said, I don't know why I wrote that twice. Uh, we have a link tree to all of our links in the description. The yeah. scri descriptions have things in them. And between listening to this podcast, being part of the book club, and looking at cute puppies on Instagram, call your representatives. Could be about anything. There's lots of things to give them a call. It takes five chat. minutes. Yeah, yeah, just it's, chat. It's with actually them. become a really fun hobby of mine. Yeah, just Do call it. them up and see what they're up to. Yeah, just tell them what you think about things. They'll listen. Yeah, and uh, thanks, thanks for listening. 
Thanks for listening, y'all. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.